Welcome to this month's episode of Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. This is Mandy Moody, the media manager here at the ACFE. Today, I will be talking to Jeremy Clopton. He is a CFE CPA and ACDA with BKD, and he is their senior managing consultant uh, over forensics and valuation services. So Jeremy, you and I have kept up with each other over the past couple of years, mainly through our blog, ACFE Insights, and you've written also for Fraud Magazine, really keeping up to date with data analysis and the latest and greatest and what's going on out there. So I thought this might be a good opportunity for us to delve into that more and get people up to speed and also educate some people that may be well advanced into it, but just need some reminders or just to hear what uh, other people in the industry are doing. So welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. And I think it's a great idea to always educate people more, especially on a topic that's uh, so quickly changing as technology. Let's start with a bit of an overview of data analytics. When did it become such a big deal and kind of where are we at right now? I think the data analytics uh, is becoming a bigger deal each and every day. I think it's really kind of hit the mainstream and it's become a big deal, so to speak, probably over the last five to eight years. Um, it's interesting in the fact that data analytics uh, is not something that's brand new. You know, it's not something that just, you know, big data was on, on the news one night and then the next day everybody had to deal with data analytics. It's not exactly how it happened. Data's been around for a while, so therefore data analytics has been around for a while, but there's definitely been a change. You know, back in the mid-1990s, uh, virtually nobody was really doing data analytics outside of technology-type firms and companies. It wasn't mainstream by any stretch of the imagination, whereas you forced, you know, fast forward to 2015 and now you have guidance saying that if you're not using analytics, you're not going to be effective. It's pretty well a requirement anymore. And I really think the change started to take place probably back in the early 2000s, probably 2002 or so. The role of data kind of started playing a bigger role in risk management and fraud detection. And that's when we really started to see data sets really growing. Uh, not only the data sets within our financial areas of our you know, organizations, but just data sets in general. You know, we started having more electronic uh, gadgets and devices that started to, you know, track information and data about us. And um, we really started to see, you know, the growth of data change. And with the growth of data came the growth of data analytics. So I think it's really become a bigger deal over the last five to eight years. I think it's probably as big a deal as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, you know, we have more data now than we've ever had before. Uh, but if you look forward, we have less data today than we'll ever have in the future, very likely. So I think it's just going to become a bigger deal as we progress. You know, where we're at, you know, where we're at in the field right now, it's interesting. I think it depends on where you're at. You know, there are firms, uh, you know, that do data analytics and specialize in that. And you have technology firms, whether it's professional service firms, what have you. Uh, and they are much further along uh, than a traditional organization or examiner might be. Uh, as far as, you know, those technology and, uh, companies and service firms, you know, they're out there, you know, they've already embraced predictive analytics. And they're kind of on the cusp of the new wave of cognitive analytics, which is really taking artificial intelligence and, you know, bridging that back with the examiner and actually the machines are learning more and able to let us get more done with our software. So I think that's where we're probably at in the field uh, from a development standpoint. 
I think if you look at examiners, it probably depends on what type of data they're dealing with. When it comes to structured data, I think that you know we're pretty far along. There are a lot of examiners, a lot of companies out there now. They have their data feeds set up live, and they are running analytics all the time, or at least maybe weekly. And I think that's the structured data, which you know that's where everybody, the type of data everybody's had and had access to much longer. I think when it comes to the unstructured side, uh, I'd say that mainstream is probably behind um, the development of that. And I think it's the fact that you know access to this unstructured data is still a relatively new and perhaps difficult thing for a lot of organizations. Yeah. Um, so I think that's I think that's going to get better though. I think you know technology is changing quickly, uh, changing about as quickly as it ever has before. And I think that's going to make that adoption quicker. The two types of data sets that you typically analyze are structured and unstructured data. So tell me a little bit about those two separate sets and, and what each of those contain. Yeah, the structured data, that is, that's what we're all pretty well familiar with already. It's your spreadsheets, a database, you know, something's in Microsoft Excel, something's in Microsoft Access. Um, I like to refer to it as the pretty data. Uh, it has rows, it has columns, and it has headers, so we know exactly what everything is, and it's nice and neat and organized. Um, and as a CPA, organized data is always a nice thing. So that's, that's the structured data, and it's kind of what it sounds like. It has structure to it. You can tell what every record is supposed to represent, uh, what every column means. The unstructured data, that's pretty well everything else. Uh, it, it's all of the data that's out there that is not in a nice database format. Uh, it's your email, your social media, text messaging, maybe it's building access logs, metadata related to video and images. It's a wide variety of data out there. You know, we've heard a lot about the Internet of Things is you know, where you have your refrigerator and your watches are all communicating somewhere. It's all of that data is that unstructured data and really that's um, that's the majority of data. Some estimations have that up around 80% of the data mm -hmm. that an organization has is unstructured. So it, it's really, I think it's going to be the, more the future uh, of data analytics is figuring out, okay, we know how to deal with the structured, you know, the data that's in a nice column and row format. How do we get our arms around everything else that's out there and how are we going to use that, uh, whether it's for fraud detection or fraud prevention? So can you give me an example of the types of unstructured data you've used to actually solve a case or to help an investigation? Because I imagine that stuff is pretty juicy. You know, you think about it and you're like, oh, that could be the really juicy stuff. But it could also just be, you know, one word that gave something away or one email or one phone call. So kind of give me an example of what that's looked like in some of the cases you've worked on. You're right. Uh, unstructured data is probably some of the most content-rich. Um, the way I like to think about it, it's, it's what gives the dollars and cents personality. Uh, it's the communication, it's all of the other behind-the-scenes goings-on at an organization rather than what gets recorded in the general ledger. Uh, so there's going to be a lot more content. You know, many times it's user-generated, uh, so you're going to have a lot of information, and it's going to have a, a bit more personality than just debits and credits and dates and accounts. And I'd say that probably the most common piece of unstructured data that we use and that we see used uh, is communications data. And much of that is email. I mean, every organization probably has email in some capacity. I think we could all agree that email yeah. is, is the most common way that people communicate. 
And if you think about it, I mean, there's a to and a from, there's a date and a time, and there's a subject, which is all great base information. You know, that, that right there can start to help you build out a timeline of events. It can start to help you figure out, you know, if you, if you think something started in October, you, you can go back to communications in September, October, November, and see what you, you know, what, what's changed, what do you see, just from that basic stuff that just kind of the core the core fields there but we're also seeing that the email it has uh, it actually does tell the personality of the person that's using it uh, we're seeing that you know tone detection in email is becoming more prevalent and it's used more often in in cases uh, to determine how are people communicating so rather than an examiner having to read every single email for the last five to eight months or five to eight years you know, instead, um, you know, there's technology that can actually read an email and determine what kind of emotional tone are they using. Are they vague? Are they nervous? Are they evasive? Are they happy? Are they sad? Uh, just based on how they're communicating, and that can really give you a lot of insight as to what's going on um, in the way somebody's communicating. You know, we've seen where people get very, very nervous after an announcement of an investigation, for instance. That can really change how they communicate. Any specific, uh, maybe you can mention a case, maybe you can't, but any piece of evidence that you've found that's totally unlocked a, a case or broken an investigation? Yeah, I can think of uh, two, two that were very... Uh, you know, the unstructured data really, really was critical. Um, and one of them, I actually, we've had a couple of recent cases, really, that had the same kind of a pattern. Uh, that was the fact that when it came to email communication, people stopped using email uh, when they thought that they were going, you know, when they started their scheme. They determined that if they used email and work email at that, it was going to be higher risk for them. Uh, they knew that it might be monitored, so naturally they stopped using it. At that point, it actually became other communication uh, devices that became important, such as smartphone backups on their work computers. You know, you plug, it, you plug in your phone and all of a sudden it synchronizes to your computer as a backup. and. Now all that communications information is on that computer. And we've had two corruption cases uh, where that was really the key information uh, were these communications that, you know, the people really thought was off the grid, so to speak. They didn't think it was going to be linked back to them. It wasn't a part of their work email. They knew enough not to use that. But then it was in their text messages, which ended up being on their work computers. So that was, that was, uh, a really good use of the other unstructured data uh, that a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily think of. In another one, uh, we actually, it was in the email, and you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, one keyword may tip you off as to something. And in this case, it was somebody that, you know, there was a, a scheme going on, and they knew not to communicate with direct words, uh, but they frequently referred to zebras. And this is <laughs> not something that was related to a zoo. So it was a bit interesting. The emails really started to paint a picture as to what was going on, and then in the digital forensics, you know, part of the investigation, when we were in recovering documents and looking through documents, uh, we actually found a full reconciliation of, um, essentially, of the fraud. The person kept a very detailed accounting of it, and it was one where we were able to then you could you could see the amounts on that spreadsheet linking back to references of zebras and emails. And it was an interesting uh, combination of using, uh, you know, data analytics, uh, 
text analytics from email, uh, digital forensics. It was really, it was a lot of data and a variety of data that was involved there. So in that instance, for the word zebras, it, did you use software to find that or was that somebody reading through them and saying, hey, they're talking about zebras? It was a combination of things. Okay. Um, there is some keyword searching. There is some, if you, uh, you know, in that case, you know, we had identified um, one problematic transaction, and then you can go back and review data around that time, emails around that time, uh, to look for clues. And then from there, you can build out the analytics around that as well uh, mm -hmm. to get more information. So it was a combination of things. It wasn't where, you know, zebra is a known uh, word that's yeah. used, and uh, it got picked up on that way. It was really a combination of machines and people. Yeah. For people out there that are just starting to get into this, or, you know, a smaller business or smaller company that, you know, has kind of woken up and said, oh, gosh, we've got to start looking at this. There could be, we could be missing something. What, where is the best place to start when you are going through unstructured data or when that might be something you're not as familiar with? With unstructured data, I think that it's like, it's like a lot of things when it comes to data. It's looking for what's going to be a quick win, you know, what's going to be something that you have access to that you're really going to be able to get in there and start to analyze right off the bat. Uh, and I think email is really the one. Uh, it's the place to start. Uh, in fact, I talked to a couple of my colleagues as I was trying to determine what the best place to start is, and we all came back to email. And I, I think the reason is email is easy to get. You know, it, the IT department a lot of times can get you email right off the bat. You know, it's not hard to find. It's not hard to get. Most organizations have a backup for a certain period of time. Beyond that, it has tons of content. You know, just the two from subject and date fields alone have a ton of information. You get into the body of the email you get a lot more information there, uh, whether it's using it for keyword searches, whether it's eventually getting to tone detection, you know, reading the email there. It's one where if you're new to using unstructured data, and, uh, email is a good place to start because it, it provides you kind of those quick wins, uh, building out the timelines and figuring out what's going on in email uh, of certain individuals around certain events. Uh, even if you're already fairly advanced with analytics, um, email is one of those that can continue to be built out. You know, I mentioned tone detection is one. The other is network relationship analysis, you know, figuring out who are people communicating with, who are people communicating about, how are they communicating about them, are they going on trips, and they reference, you know, various, various aspects of, you know, their relationship with a vendor or with another individual in email, and you can start to build out, you know, a network relationship map, essentially, uh, showing how everybody is related, and you can get a lot of that information from email um, just from what people will consider, you know, everyday normal communications. So for organizations out there, even small businesses or, you know, even larger companies that are just starting to tap into this, that feel overwhelmed by all the data, telling somebody like my dad that he needs to look at his employees and go through you know, email, all these things are out there that you could be looking at, it could feel like a lot, especially people that are used to the structured data. Uh, what advice do you have for them when they're going through this for investigations or starting to really take this on uh, and they're feeling overwhelmed? The feeling of overwhelm is very common. 
whether it's unstructured data or structured data. We hear so much about big data and there's so much data out there and oh my gosh, what are we going to do with it? And it really comes back to the fact that you have to understand that you don't have to, it's not an all or nothing type of approach to unstructured data or structured data. You don't have to analyze every single piece of data, every single data set, every single type of data that you have in your organization. What you need to do is really step back and take a look at what data sets you have, what risks you have, take some of the, you know, your higher risk items that have good data that's easy to use, uh, and start there, you know, figure out what can you do given your data, your capabilities, your tools, and your risks to make a dent. You know, what, what one little thing can you do today that's going to help you start to better manage risk tomorrow? Um, it really doesn't good. have to be I'm going to analyze every email in my company from the last 10 years. It, it might simply be I'm you know, going to start looking at policies around the collection of email and planning for the future. It may be saying, you know, we aren't even using structured data in our company. So we're going we're gonna to start there. You know, I hear a lot of organizations, they say that, you know, I have Microsoft Excel, so I can't, I can't do data analytics. All I have is Microsoft Excel, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, you know, Microsoft Excel is not going to be the most effective or most efficient necessarily, especially if you have really large data sets. But I know uh, it was in 2013 I worked on a fraud investigation that could have been stopped using Microsoft Excel and it got up over a million dollars by the time it was caught and that only took three years. That fraud scheme could have been caught probably $15,000 in using Microsoft Excel in about 30 minutes. Understanding that you can start small. Just because it's big data doesn't mean you have to have some crazy, complicated um, program or, you know, structure of a program in place. You know, that you can start small, um, take care of your big risks with your best data first, um, and then from there, just continue to learn. You know, attending conferences, learning there. There are tons of white papers on the use of analytics as it relates to fraud, looking at other tools, learning from those companies that market those tools and those software packages as to how they say you can use it. Even if you don't have their tool, the principles still apply. So just educating yourself and trying to you know, learn as much as you can and not just learning specifically how somebody has applied it, but learning about their principles and their concepts as to how and why they applied it and then applying that back in your organization and thinking, okay, here's how I can use that same mindset to accomplish something in my organization. That's really great advice. Uh, any, so this is kind of a fun question, but do you want to make any future predictions about data analytics? If there's one thing that you know is going to happen in the next 10 years, what is it? One thing I know is going to happen in the next 10 years. Do you think we'll have robots checking, real robots yep. checking our data? <laughs> I don't think we'll have robots checking the data. I do think uh, that we're going to see a push toward more proactive risk management rather than reactive detections. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see companies that are going to start implementing technology in-house to try and prevent fraud as best they can rather than waiting until it happens. Yeah. Most organizations know that it's not typically a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I think we're going to see a shift toward companies actually bringing the technology in-house rather than, um, you know, hiring it out, so to speak. Um, yeah. 
we're seeing it some in internal audit already. Internal audit organizations bringing data analytics in-house to take a more proactive approach of monitoring their structured data. Mm -hmm. I think that trend will continue, and I think you'll start to see some of the unstructured data analytics being brought in-house as well as the technology progresses. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I am uh, glad to join you today. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much. We're very glad to have you. Thank you to everyone listening to this month's episode of Fraud Talk. You can find all of our podcasts on acfe.com slash podcast. We will talk to you next month.